Hello and welcome to Ink and Updates, the podcast brought to you by Interactive Inks and Coatings. I'm your host, Greg Tenorla, and with me is Tom Brennan, our customer service manager. On today's show, Skynet is set to begin the takeover of the printing industry. The 2018 Packaging Compensation Survey is out. Canon is unveiling their new line of hybrid presses. And how Generation Z is changing the design and print landscape. All this and more on this June news edition of Ink and Updates. Stay tuned. Welcome to Ink and Updates, your touchpoint for the flexographic industry. Stay informed about industry news and advertise your business or service to the community. I didn't even really notice or care. What and Josh screw them. <laughs> screw the editors. <laughs> and with that, since that's recorded, I'm going to go ahead and keep that. Ah, uh, mercy. <laughs> All right, so before we get started here on sure. today's June news, uh, I did want to say that we did install another ACT ink system um, we did. in the last couple weeks. Yeah, we just finished the install. Yes, you're right, we did. Yeah. So that's another one uh, in the books. If you're unfamiliar with the ACT ink system, our advanced color technology, which is what the ACT stands for, of course, not only do we here at Interactive Inks modify and customize ink systems for your specific needs, but we also modify and customize ink rooms. Um, so what we do is we go in, we assess your situation, and we try and build a custom system for you. And we call those systems our ACT ink systems. If you're unfamiliar with them, go ahead and head to our website or just give us a call and we'd be more than willing to talk it over with you. Yeah, I mean, the customers really, I mean, they're really, really happy. Uh, they started working off uh, inks that were sitting on the shelf almost immediately. Um, sure. And we also talk about actually the biggest um, cost reduction is actually in substrate, not just the waste on your floor. Yeah. Because you're getting your colors on point faster, more productive. Yep. Um, you're reducing your waste, which is a big, a big factor when it comes to costing out your jobs. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. We put it in another one. A little shameless plug. And a little shameless plug. <laughs> it's harmless. <laughs> All right, but on to news. So the 2018 salary survey uh, came out. So this is a uh, dedicated exclusively to the packaging professionals. And what it is is essentially it's just a survey asking, uh, a few questions in 2018, uh, which is the most likely? I expect to earn more millions, in- <laughs> millions, millions, yes. one million dollars. <laughs> so, it goes on to ask. So, the survey were the surveyors were asked, uh, "Do do you expect to earn more in 2018 than in 2017?" Sixty percent said yes. Only eight percent. Is our boss is our, is our boss listening to this? By the way. Well, we're not in packaging, so oh. I guess it doesn't much matter. Ah, that's <laughs> I don't really, think we have a survey. Is that what he's going to use to get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have a survey of ink manufacturers. Okay, all right. Sorry. Um, so only 8% expect to earn less, and then, of course, 32% say they're, they plan on making about the same. So with an overall average salary, bonus, cash incentives, and commission, domestic respondents enjoyed a 1.6% bump to $121,708 this year versus 119714 in 2017. Now, these are on average. Conversely, foreign workers saw their income decline from 88415 in 2017 to 86052 this year. So foreign workers are going down. Domestic workers are going up. I like to see that. Right. The biggest thing that they mentioned is there's, another, there's a 29% increase in the amount of people who actually participated this year versus last year in their respondents. Yeah, so I wanted to bring that up. Now, I think a big part of this is, well, first of all, people who saw the biggest bump, consultants and structural design job functions. Yeah, those guys. 
23.4%. Anytime you see the word consultant, you need to grab on your wallet. That's all I'm saying. Well, their salaries just went up $24,000. So, in other news, I'll be starting a new business and cons- consultations. Right, right. Yeah, starting immediately. Right. In addition, so survey participants were asked to comment uh, on what they think can make them better packaging professionals. So, 24.2% indicated that they need more training and education in the forms of classwork and seminars, and 22.9% felt that they needed more or different experiences. So to me, I read that as 47.1% of people who really want to grow in the industry who are very um, excited to learn and, and to move up into their companies. So conversely to that, this article goes on to state um, engaged employees versus uh, unengaged employees. That's a big number, actually, right. when you start getting into this. Yeah, well, they. Uh, so this article, by the way, I'm reading from uh, Packaging World. This article references a Gallup poll, and what they say is uh, unengaged workers cost businesses an estimated of $450, $500 billion each year. Boom. Yeah. So Absenteeism, turnover, theft, salary, quality. Right. Worse yet, only 17.5% of these workers are actively engaged and can be erosive and drive the, drive the organization in the wrong direction by taking out their unhappiness, wah, on fellow employees, etc. Exactly. So what it comes to is engaged workers. Uh, it states increased customer satisfaction, productivity, and profitability. I think that's an obvious one. And unengaged do the exact opposite. So when I see these surveys, 47.7%, 47.1%, I really want to move forward. And they want to grow in their company. So I think that's um, you know, a good indicator that the packaging industry is moving forward. And only, conversely to that, I did a little math here, and only 35 and 2.7% were on the low end of the questions that I think are a little. Wanted greater, greater personal recognition and said that their, need, their company needed uh, competent people. So to me, that reads as 3.5% uh, and 2.7%. Uh, respectively, so that's five total. Um, maybe just aren't happy where they're at. We should just right, right. So they either want more recognition or they uh, want them to hire more quality people. They're so the ones taking out feeling. the unhappiness on their fellow employees. Yes, that sounds like that. So that's only five percent. Right. That I think uh, there were a number of questions here. I'm only kind of taking the top two and the bottom two. So I mean, I'm sure there's a number of uh, happy customers in between there. But yeah, so I'm only reading five percent uh, of the people who were polled here that are kind of seem not very happy with where they're at or don't feel like they're getting the satisfaction or the gratitude that they deserve. I'm sure some names come into mind, but we won't yeah, we'll share just... that here. <laughs> Next page. Uh, so uh, Uflex revamps a packaging for Rosanna. Rosanna happens to be India's uh, biggest beverage maker uh, in the country of India. The f- fruit powder concentrate I picked this article basically because uh, it is a flexible pouch. It has a uh, like a cap on the uh, top of it, but uh, most importantly, it has a a handle so you can actually grab the pouch uh, from the shelf and uh, pour the concentrated powder uh, by by using the handle, basically. So, right. So this is another uh, one of those layered pouches. Multiple layers here. We have. Polyester aluminum foil, polyester polyethylene. While the foil imparts perfect barrier to water vapor and oxygen, we have incorporated two layers of polyester in the structure to lend sturdiness to the pouch, carrying 750 grams of powder concentrate, ensuring that the side handle 
that Tom is talking about there Very does classy. not snap. Yes. Well, that would not be good. Yeah. Plus, the construction of the, the construction of the pouch is very important. The fruit powder concentrate is extremely hydroscopic, which I had to look up. It uh, means uh, absorbing moisture from the atmosphere. Oh, you're not an encyclopedia? No, I am. I am far, far from that. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. So that's just another example of uh, flexible packaging, which, of course, this this article is from uh, flexible packaging. Another but you'll have to go to India to find it. <laughs> Well, today. We'll talk about this again tomorrow when it's okay. in Walmart. Right. All right. So Canon launches the LabelStream 4000 series. So an industrial size UV inkjet press. This is a hybrid press with optional flexo printing. I really don't like that. What, the hybrids? When, no. When did we become optional? <laughs> well. Optional flexo printing. Really? Now we're optional? Before it was the flexo press that was like digital was optional. Well, I mean, if you're, I think if you're going to be a printer in this day and age, you have to have okay. some pretty flexible options. Okay. So the productivity ranges from 950 to 600, 1,672 square meters per hour. I don't know about you, but I had to break out the calculator for that one. I think that comes down to about 170 square foot per minute to 300 square feet per minute. And, of course, it looks to carve out a significant presence in the growing label printing market. So at its core, the LabelStream 4000 series is a five-color UV inkjet press, CMYK plus white, with a print speed of 48 meters per minute. Why is everything in meters? I don't know. Why can't they get on the same page? Are we <laughs> on the same page with Can't America. everyone just do it the way America does it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, it offers print widths of 330 millimeters or 13 inches or 410 millimeters, 16 inches, and an optional performance mode uh, for less demanding print jobs. So it also goes on to state that it has one-pass op uh, one opacities uh, that matches rotary screen and flexo. Uh, uses the latest Tazar 2001 UV inkjet print heads, and the system could be expanded to full hybrid configuration with a custom mix of additional flexo heads, embellishments, and finishing units, turning it into a fully integrated single-pass label conversion line to meet the various demands on Budgets. So there you go. It it basically says customization. That's why fan. it's important. I'm not a fan. Well, everyone's doing it. I um I took me a brief minute to talk about uh, to look at Mark Andy's. Now they're doing a little different here. Uh, I just because I wanted to see how Mark Andy was handling it, so I googled it. So they're doing it with what they call the Digital Plus program, where they're actually retrofitting uh, digital heads onto their already existing presses. So I think hybrid presses are going to. be But that's where they're the they're 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 the option. Right, they are the option. Hey, listen, I love Mark Andy. Don't don't get me wrong here, but I think uh, I think it's going to be pretty popular at the Label Expo this year, Label Expo twenty eighteen. Hybrid presses. All right, got to have go. it. We're gonna we're gonna see. Yeah. It's coming up September twenty fifth. Right. So this segues, I think, pretty well into the Generation Z, fueling the digital market explosion. Yes, we're seeing all of these flexible presses be outfitted with digital print heads, but why is that? So. This is a, an article I love the from, first. I actually love the first line of this article. Go yeah. ahead. Actually, I'm going to skip that. You can <laughs> <laughs> So Generation Z marketers struggle to build brand loyalty, but digital printing helps deliver the message. So Doris Brown McNally, HP Global Brand Innovations Manager, says basically Generation Z is the most sophisticated generation ever. And they're the first generation uh, to be true digital natives, meaning they grew up in the digital world. Now, I consider myself 
as a millennial, towards the other end of it a little bit, yeah. uh, to be pretty digital savvy. Now, we grew up in the best age, in my opinion, because we had Super Nintendo. No, no, no. <laughs> Atari 2600 was the best. No. Okay? Jesus. <laughs> all right. First of all. <laughs> so. And all the kids in the neighborhood at my house, Atari 2600, man. Yeah. All right. Well, they go Asteroids, on. Asteroids, Space Invaders. Well, it's like arcade type stuff, isn't it? Well, yeah. That's back when you actually had to socialize. Now you just put your headset on and you yell at people through the internet. Oh, oh. That's yeah. how that works. All right, so it says they're engaged by, by what she calls, uh, that's Doris Brown McNally, um, phil- philanthrop. Oh, if I could pronounce, pronounce this. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> <laughs> Say it once. <laughs> Philanthropic marketing. <laughs> So that's marketing connected to causes and events. These consumers uh, purchase brands that reflect their values and interests. So millennials and Generation Zs tend to buy things that kind of go correlate with their values, and they're willing to spend a little bit more if you coincide with Well, yeah, so uh, when, when you think about it, right. So they're looking for companies, and they're willing to use products that, Basically support a cause. There's a good example here of a company who's uh, basically handling this. Uh, so um, a cream liqueur from Cape Town, South Africa, launched the Name, the Name Them, Save Them campaign for African elephants. Label producer Salitho produced randomly generated digital printed labels for a limited edition of 400,000 bottles representing the 400,000 African elephants that are estimated to remain in the wild. So consumers can go to design their own elephant online and each elephant label has a unique name and of course it gets printed on the bottle and and all of them are getting sold. I mean Coca-Cola kind of started this right with the whole uh, one million uh, individual uh, Coca-Colas labels all the labels they, they printed a million labels all of them were different the different names right yeah. the most popular names that, that was were... kind of like a shtick thing for well, hey, I don't Coca-Cola. know anybody and now they now they're gonna put your name on there right yeah, you can get them printed. You can go out and find your name on a Coke bottle. I never personally found my name, actually. No, I Not that it. I really look. I don't drink a lot of Coke right. or Pepsi products, really. But I haven't found mine either. Kind of a cool but shtick. I haven't really been looking. So there you go. That's why Generation Z is changing. So not only And if you're drinking out of a Coke, it doesn't have your name on it. Are you wrong? What? <laughs> if, you're drinking, <laughs> if you're drinking out of a Coke that doesn't have your name on it, are you wrong? Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> so we in the flexo market not only have to deal with, right. you know, obviously innovation uh, as far as digital printing becoming more and more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, appealing to printers. So they're coming very appealing because of the, the ability for them to customize situations and the younger generations want things more customized, more specific. The way I think of it is I like brew pumps, which really kind of is exploding the shrink film, shrink sleeve industry, at least on our end, where they're not going to design and print on the cans really anymore. Everything's got the the newer, the smaller. It's got a shrink sleeve around it. Yeah, it's got a shrink sleeve around it. And you can really customize the artwork on there. You only have to print so many of them. You know, every week, if you want, every day, you can come up with a different can. Yeah, I mean, they even mentioned a uh, company in here called 19 Crimes Wine. And if you point your uh, 
phone at the bottle, the, uh, the label will tell you a story uh, about the bottle that you're looking at. What? Well, that's, I mean, I'm just, it says, you want more, I'm on page three of eight. It oh. says, want more engagement, question mark? Point your smartphone at the bottle of 19 Crimes Wine. And the, bo- and the label comes alive and tells you a story. It's kind of like putting one of those QR codes on a, on a bottle of one of our ink bottles, and it'll uh, bring you right to the website and tell you about the uh, specific ink that you're buying. Hmm. But this tells you a story, you see. That's very cool. Whirly Burl. <laughs> oh, boy. Whirly Bird? Whirly Bird Granola uh, has come out with a new packaging. So Whirly Burl. Whirly, say that 10 times fast, say it once, Whirly Bird Granola, a Cincinnati, Ohio-based brand focused on the transparent and authentic approach to a small $2.49 for each two-ounce unit is a convenient package for the grab-and-go consumer. So this is on Label and Webs, yeah? Yes, yes, it is. It's on uh, Label and Webs. So this is cool. So you basically you buy your granola, you pour your milk in, I assume milk, and uh, you just go ahead and eat it right there in the pouch. Yeah, you could have almond milk, too. Almond milk's actually the really tasty with cereal. With cereal? But it comes with a collapsible spoon. And this really kind of brought me back to the whole Doritos. That's right. Pyramid pouch. pouch. Oh, yeah. yeah. So here's I'm thinking about, you know, putting Doritos in this thing, open it up, like pour your chili cheese in there. Mm. Yeah, I like Delish. the idea. Single serve. That's cool. So, I don't know why they think they had to reinvent the wheel here, but Guardco introduces the new 10 to 20 digital ink rub tester. Now, I have a Sutherland rub tester. I've been using it for 15 years. It works just fine. I have a Everybody has a Sutherland <laughs> rub tester. Yes. It, it, it rubs things right. back and forth until it, it comes off. Rub, <laughs> rub, rub, rub. <laughs> uh. Yes, but they have. I mean, everything gets better, and they even call it the digital. Ink rub tester is designed to measure scuffing and or rubbing resistance. Uh, several tests can be performed, including a dry rub, a wet rub, and a wet bleed and transfer. But most important, and I think this option feature you'll never get with a selling rub tester, is a heated weight that provides a uniform test for evaluating hot abrasion resistance of printed cartons, labels, etc. Applications do include inks, plastic film, packaging, paper, labels, coatings, cartons, and printed material. I think we've come a long way from the block of wood with a weight on it. Of course, I have my arm calibrated every well, morning. It's not wood, first of all. Those are nicely, <laughs> perfectly weighted steel weights. Yes, but, but in the press room, you just... Kind of rub on it and make sure it doesn't come off. And then we move down the street. We go, approved, and ship it down the street. Right? Yes. That's, that's called the press side version. Right. Well, press side. All right. So. So kind of keeping in, in, uh, in line with, you know, we, we've, we've talked several times about recycling and how. We always try and keep up with the green end of we're things. We're trying to keep up with the green end of things. And uh, I, I have two articles here. One of them was the Coca-Cola Foundation has committed $1 million to support a new coastal and waterway communities grant program. And so basically what they've done is they know that from experience and research that providing a littered curbside recycling cart is the part of the solution to curbing marine debris in developed countries. 
you know, my recycling bin is just a bin. It doesn't, even, it doesn't have a lid on it. And so Sunday night, you go out there, you put your recycling out on the curb. Middle of the night, rainstorm comes in, and you wake up, and your recycling's all over the street, you and everybody else's. Sure. So basically what Coca-Cola is saying is we're going we're gonna to give $1 million to coastal communities. Uh, it's kind of a grant program. And uh, they can put a lid on these. Uh, I guess they redesigned the, the uh, cart so that you could have a lid on it to keep all that stuff in there, which I think should have been done a long time ago, quite frankly. Yeah, one thing at a time, moving forward in the right direction. That's the important thing, right? Piggybacking off of that is uh, National Geographic. Um, now, I don't read National Geographic, and I hope they don't get mad for me saying that, but uh, it used to come with a... Uh, plastic wrapper around it, you know, to keep water and debris out of their magazine while it's in the mail. Uh, and this month, uh, it was mailed out with a paper package with a headline that says, will this paper wrap save the planet? Question mark. And just beneath the headline, the response is, no, but it's a start. By replacing our plastic cover with one, with a paper one, we're taking a small step to help reduce the big problem of single-use plastic pollution. Uh, I think we've mentioned several, several times about the amount of plastic that is basically making its way into the waterways and the big island of plastic. Uh, but they have a couple of stats in here that say today 95% of plastic packaging material valued at $80 billion to $120 billion annually is lost to the economy after its first use. An overwhelming 72% of plastic packaging is not recovered at all. 40% is landfill, and 32% leaks out of the collection system. That is, either it is not collected at all, or it is, is collected, then illegally dumped or mismanaged. All that to say this. Uh, one statistic that really kind of got me is taking the green stand and green packaging and shipping, noting that 8 million tons of plastic enter the ocean every year, that anyone who consumes the average amount of seafood... I eat a lot of seafood, particularly tuna. But I've heard they're swimming through uh, tuna, infested waters. Tuna. Tuna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, crab legs. Yeah. Well, uh, the only thing you shouldn't eat is tilapia. I, I don't know if you've heard about this. But, yeah, no, that's disgusting. Oh, my God. I used right. to eat it all the time in college. Really? Somewhere along the lines... Well, I'm going back 10 years. Okay. Somewhere along the lines, I learned, because it was cheap. You buy a you know yes. big sack of it. Right. I thought I was frugal. Nope, just killing myself. <laughs> uh, one flay at a time. Well, this is just gonna make you feel great anyway. So, any, so, so anyone who who consumes the average amount of seafood again, fill in your favorite, ingest eleven thousand plastic particles per year. Say that again. I, I will, yes. Go ahead and reread that. Anyone who consumes the average amount of seafood ingests 11,000 plastic particles per year. Is that a lot? Plastic particles? Are we talking like... It's 11,000 of them. Well, right. But as compared to what? Like me eating like... As opposed to one. I mean, who, I mean, who wants to eat even one plastic particle? I mean, you wonder why, you know, people have got, they have problems. Sure. I mean, it's, 
not only is it bad enough that well, it just reminds me of that commercial. I mean, <laughs> like, how much lead do you deem acceptable in your water? <laughs> Correct. Right. Right. Is that a lot? Yeah, opposed to one. Yeah, it's a lot. So uh, not so great. But you know, National Geographic's doing its doing its part. Uh, I think L'Oreal that we've talked about is doing their part. Uh, Coca Cola is definitely uh, chiming in. Yeah. And, well, it's good. It's definitely the brand owners, you know, pushing the green agenda. And then you have, you know, Whirly Bird Granola just making sure they give you an extra throwaway spoon with every package. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, send all your complaints to C.R. Tinarella, uh on the Twitter storm. Uh, yes. I'm sure, I'm sure the folks at Whirly Bird really like you saying that. Well... Um, very creative packaging, Whirly Bird. Um, also enjoy the logo. <laughs> you got to ditch the plastic spoon. <laughs> Eat it with your hands. Well, I mean, come on. It makes a picnic easier. I'll give them that. We need some, like, intro music for this, don't we? Yeah. I'm a little scared. <laughs> this is. <laughs> so whenever you hear about AI, tell me that the first thing that comes to your mind is in Judgment Day. Oh, it's Terminator. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. So when I saw that Tilly Labs, and I'll tell you a little bit about them in a second. What was that girl's name? Sarah Connor? Is that, <laughs> was that, was that her name? Well, I don't think she wrote this article. No, 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 no. no. I mean in Terminator. Yes. It's the girl Sarah with the Connor. gun. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's right. Skynet. The toughest mom on TV. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> in an article of Flexo Global, Tilly Labs just debuted this today. Now we're recording this on the 13th. Dun, dun. And uh, June 13th through June 15th. Um, is there's a D scoop up there in Canada? Looks like a uh, trade show. By the time you listen to this, of course, that would have passed. And life on this planet, as we know it, will be over. <laughs> so Tilly Labs <laughs> is a software company based in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, builds prepressed software for planning, imposition, and automation of applications spanning the full range of graphic arts sectors, including packaging, labels, commercial, and wide format printing. So of course, uh, imposition is critical uh, when it comes to the very basics of pre-press. Easiest way to think of imposition, if you're unfamiliar, business cards. I've always thought of it that way. You could fit eight or ten business cards, whatever it is, because they're nice and square, and they fit nicely on an eight and a half uh, to eleven sheet of paper, so we call that up. So if you put eight business cards on one eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, that's eight up. Right? That's imposition. Now when you think of things getting a little complicated when you have all sorts of different shapes and sizes and widths and presses, and there's many variables, so that's imposition. Tilly Labs is developing AI and integrating it into... Robots. <laughs> mean robots. Mean ro so Tilly Labs is debuting Tilly Phoenix, which is their flagship solution, draws on new developments in artificial intelligence in automating planning and imposition for all types of devices and print applications using advanced nesting, die-cutting optimization, and planning algorithms. The system factors and parameters such as job specifications, quantity, dimensions, color, substrates, press print devices, post print requirements, and delivery considerations to deliver optimum layouts. It enables users to search across millions of combinations in minutes uh, for their imposition setup to find the most cost-effective layouts. So basically, taking AI, taking computers, and of course, integrating it flawlessly into the print. Uh, according to the Bernard Group from Minnesota, USA, who uses this equipment, he said, and I quote, if we have to take a press offline for any reason, could be any reason, we just bring that job Like jacket. the robots ate all of the employees? 
So, <laughs> so he states, if we have to take the press offline for any reason, uh-huh. we just bring the job jacket over to the different press, sure. and the necessary adjustments are automatically made to the imposition plan. Phoenix is genuinely cross-platform. It does what it does really, really well. Again, when it I'm feels quoting, like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quoting from Bernard Group in Minnesota. Uh, this is Diego Diaz, the solutions architect uh, for workflow and print systems with the Bernard Group. He says it does what it does really, really well for large format and small format on HB Indigo's Fuji J-Press, Futech, uh, and all the presses and finishing equipment. So there you go. That is... AI being introduced into uh, the printing and design industry. One human being at a time. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> did you, it's very I scary. I thought I drank too much coffee today. <laughs> it's very scary. You know what time it is. It's time for the one last thing. It's time for the one last and thing. Just what, you, the, <laughs> for the listeners who make it to the end of these podcasts, <laughs> I actually have no idea what these last things are. He just brings them up to me randomly. So here we go. I'm well, ready. look, this is the one last thing. It has absolutely, as per usual, nothing to do with the flexible graphic industry and or packaging. But this week in history, on June 14th, 2002, the Born Identity featuring the f- most famous mini chase scene was released. Remember the Born Identity? Do I remember? It was only like 15 years ago. The first one, wasn't it? Yeah, I know. But remember the chase scene when they're running around in Mini Coopers through town? Yeah. Shooting at each other? Sure. It's the greatest chase scene ever. Uh, I call bullshit. Really? You can't say that on there. This isn't live radio. I can say whatever I want. (laughs) Josh, go ahead and uh, expletive delete that. (laughs) Come on. Who was it? Bullet? What do you mean, Bullet? Born. No, Bullet. Have you ever seen the movie Bullet? No. All right, I'm Googling this right now. All right. All right. Are we going to check it? So, Bullet, I think he's driving. If I, if I want to say he was driving. These are in Mini Cooper's band. They're just driving through town. In Zurich, things. he meets the Marie Krutz girl. Bullet movie. And an officer tw- office offers her 20000 in cash to drive him from Paris. All right, hang on a second. In a red Mini Cooper. Right. Bullet movie, 1968. Um, chase, chase scene. Blow your Mini Cooper out of the water. Let me just check this really quick. Buckle up, he says. <laughs> All right. So, so what are they driving in this? Well, I'm trying to find that out. I forget exactly what it was, and I don't want to get it wrong, but this is the best chase scene. But if it's not a Mini Cooper. And I, I, actually, I'm pretty sure these microphones are going to pick up this YouTube video. <laughs> oh, nice. That'll work. we got to get rid of the ad, though, because we're not paying for the ad time. <laughs> All right. So what is he driving here? I can't see that from here. It looks like an old Nova. Go up. Yeah, that's an old Nova. That was a little before your time. Right, but that's a Mustang. That's a 1968 Mustang, I think. You know who would know? Eric would know. We should get Eric in here. Yeah, we should. Yeah, but that's a race car. Those are not race cars. Not in the 19, late 1960s, 1970s. Uh, they were race cars. These are, come on, these those are, are stock. Those off are the, nothing, I know, but they're nothing off but the assembly line. engines in a seat. Okay, yeah, well, that's when American muscle was where it's at, you know. All right, so we're going to have to start a poll, though. Okay? <laughs> Which is the best chase scene? Either bullet from what year? 1968. From 1968 or... The Mini Cooper chasing in the Born Identity. All right. So before 2002. We, yeah, we can absolutely pull that. I'd be, all right, let me see one second here. 
I want to find out what cars were used. Let me just Google this before we close this podcast. Okay. What cars were used in the 1968 Bullet Chase? Bullet 1968 trivia. Two Mustangs. All right, let's I'll see. see. I said Nova. <laughs> All right. Classes so here, here's IMBD trivia. So two Mustangs and two Dodge Chargers were used for the famous chase scene. Both Mustangs were owned by the Ford Motor Company and part of the promotional loan agreement with the Warner Brothers. There you go. Two Mustangs and two Dodge Chargers. So the Dodge Charger nice. is the one that's chasing them, I'd imagine. But who, anyway, I haven't seen that movie. Who's in that movie? Uh, I, how much are you going to make me Google here? Well, I mean, you know. It is... Uh, <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> Bullet, 1960, IMDb. Here we go. Action, crime, mystery. You know, I haven't seen this movie in 20 years, and it immediately, after not even thinking about it, immediately when you said chasing, this is what came to my mind. So there's no way that the Mini Cooper... Running around Europe, he's going to beat that. <laughs> Stars, Steve McQueen. Oh, Steve McQueen. Well, Cannonball was a pretty good. I mean, they, they went all the way across country. They had Burt Reynolds in it. Cannonball, was that the comedy movie? Yeah. But they didn't have Benny Cooper. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dead air. <laughs> anyway, all right. that's the one last thing. Well, I hope you learned something today. Uh, if you'd like to pull... <laughs> On whether or not Bullet had the best chase scene or if... Which I'm sure is available on Amazon Prime. (laughs) (laughs) One of of our many sponsors. (laughs) Uh, I got to somehow stop laughing so I can pull together an outro here. Okay. (laughs) Do you want to say anything? (laughs) No. I I really think I've said enough. Well, thank you for listening to this June news edition of the Inks and Updates podcast brought to you by Interactive Inks and Coatings. We greatly appreciate you listening. Uh, If you have any questions or want to join us on the show, or maybe you're a Flexo printer who wants to learn more about what Interactive Inks and Coatings is and how we can customize your water-based UV or UV LED products to correlate with your application and operational needs, we always offer a pairing of our ink systems uh, with the most advanced ink rooms available on the market, customized for any size printer or converter please head on over to interactiveinks.com and talk to Tom or I about your situation. Thanks again for listening and make it a great day.